welcome back to Sports Crutch with Deep Prime. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, David Cromwell. Three years removed from winning Super Bowl 50, the Denver Broncos have entered an era of uncertainty. This uncertainty goes above and beyond the drama surrounding the ownership succession plan and the elusive search for a stadium naming rights partner. After a dismal 5-11 campaign in 2017, the Broncos have equipped themselves to remain competitive in the short term and also assembled a 2018 rookie class that should give fans some long-term optimism. However, the two most important components of an NFL franchise, the head coach and quarterback, remain somewhat of a mystery in the Mile High City. Thus, aside from a playoff berth, what, for the sake of the franchise's long-term future, would be the most ideal scenario to unfold for the Broncos in 2018? Joining me to answer that question and a lot more about the Broncos is Zach Stevens, who covers the team for BSN Denver. It's a pleasure to welcome Zach to the program for the very first time. How are you doing, Zach? David, thanks for having me on. Great intro. I mean, he summed up the Broncos perfectly. Just three years ago, we're talking about a Super Bowl championship team. Now we're talking about a team coming off one of the worst seasons in their franchise. It, it, it's really a great time to talk Broncos. Oh, it, it... Oh, even in these uh, uncertain times for the Broncos, it definitely is because, uh, as they say, the National Football League teams could get better uh, quickly than in most other leagues. And the Broncos, I think, started to put the train back on the tracks uh, this offseason. And we'll get to those uh, topics in a minute. But let's talk about uh, this season and training camp in particular. And let's start with the elephant in the room, and that is Case Keenum, who the Broncos brought in on a two-year, $36 million deal to stabilize the quarterback situation for now and hopefully for longer than that. But Case Keenum is a bit of an enigma because uh, Case Keenum broke out last year in Minnesota, but before then he uh, looked like a below-average quarterback at best in his stops with the Texans and the Rams. So the question is, what Case Keenum should Broncos fans expect to see this season? As good or better version of the guy we saw in Minnesota last year? the guy Keenum was during his time with the Rams and Texans, or is the truth somewhere in the middle? Yeah, and I think that's, you're, you're absolutely right. That's where it needs to start because not just in football, but the most important position in all of sports is the quarterback position. What uh, We see a few years ago with Peyton Manning. Uh, they have great play from him. Well, what does it do? It not only makes the team a 13-3 and team year in and year out and always a Super Bowl team, but it brings great free agents in year in and year out. Uh, last year with Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, the combination of those three are one of the worst in the league, and the Broncos go 5-11. and 11. So it starts and really almost ends with Case Keenum in the Broncos. And they, they made that $36 million investment in him. And really, I mean, they, they, they couldn't have paid enough to get a great quarterback. Now, that's the question. Is Case Keenum a great quarterback? Last year, 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, MVP candidate. Like you said years before, really a, just a career backup. I have reason to believe that he should be closer to last year than years back because uh, he is the man, and he was made the man from the moment they signed him. When they signed him, John Elway said, Case Keenum is our starting quarterback. That's only happened once in his career, and that wasn't even last year. That was two years ago. Uh, when the St. Louis Rams moved to Los Angeles and they named Case Keenum their guy. But when they did that, they drafted Jared Goff. So Case Keenum was kind of their guy, but not really. This is the first time that he has been the guy. And I'll tell you what, 
all indications throughout the offseason are that he is acting like the guy, taking full responsibility as the guy, and leading like the guy, which is a huge start. But will that translate to the field? I, I think it'll be closer to last year's 22 touchdown to seven interception ratio than what we've seen before. But, but you can't be certain. That, that's the biggest question with this team. Maybe the, the Case Keenum may be the biggest question mark at the quarterback position in the entire NFL. Oh, most certainly. And th- that is a very good point. I, pers- I personally do not think uh, he'll be the same guy he was in Minnesota last year, probably because uh, the team, the Vikings, uh, ha- assembled around him. Uh, the Vikings, for the record, are my pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl this year because uh, as good as Case Keenum was for them last year, one of Keenum's biggest weaknesses is he's not the guy that is built to play in shootouts and come from behind. They needed a quarterback like Kirk Cousins who could help uh, them go toe-to-toe with teams like the Eagles and the Saints uh, going forward. But I also don't think he'll be as bad as he was with the Rams because he, keep in mind, who was the head coach with the Rams during his years there? Jeff Fisher. And Jeff Fisher was running essentially a 1980s-style offense where he had no help in the passing game. <laughs> so, uh, and yes, uh, I although I do think Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are better than Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders are right now, uh, Keenum should... Although I don't think he'll be as good as he was in Minnesota, he should definitely be a lot better than he was with the Rams and a lot better than what the Broncos trotted on the field the last two years. Well, and, and here's the thing. that That's a great point, David. And it, it's really, um, you know, they don't need Case Keenum to be an MVP candidate. And I think that anyone who's saying he's going to do that again um, and, and take last year's numbers and build on those numbers, I think that's a little foolish. And I don't think... I certainly don't think he's going to be that type of quarterback. But let's look at when the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015, when they had Peyton Manning. Yes, they had Peyton Manning. But if you remember, he was not Peyton Manning. That was the only year where he really wasn't that good. I mean, he was benched because he had four interceptions in a game. Now, he was dealing with some injuries. But the way that team won the Super Bowl was on the back of Von Miller and that defense. Now, Akeem Tlaib is not on this defense anymore. There's some other missing parts from, from that defense. But this defense still should be, should be is the key word, a top five defense in the league. So what do you need from the offense, specifically from Case Keenum? You need average. <laughs> and as funny as it is, what I've been saying all offseason is from Case Keenum and this offense, they should strive to be average. Now, in terms of numbers, that's not going to be a sexy number game from Case Keenum. You're not going to want him as your fantasy quarterback because maybe you're looking at for the entire season, you're looking at 28 touchdowns and 11 or 12 interceptions. Well, that's a huge difference from what the Broncos had last year. I think the number was 17 touchdowns to 21 interceptions from that quarterback position. You flip that uh, to be significantly positive, you know, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, something like that. You do have a whole different ball game. You're talking about uh, doubling the wins from last season from five up to 10. So it's about making the right expectations for Case Kingdom. And look, he's getting paid $18 million, which is the second most on this Broncos team, only behind Von Miller. However, that's, that's like the 19th highest paid quarterback. So it's not like uh, you should expect top 10 play from Case. You should just expect... Uh, average and average would be good for this team this year. And, and the one thing that I want to say about Case is what made him so good last year 
was his performance in the red zone. You can look at across all the numbers. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the red zone. And the Broncos last year had one of the worst quarterback plays in the end zone or in the red zone. So if you flip those just with that and cutting out turnovers, that's going to be huge. Oh, yes, and especially if somebody other than Demarius Thomas can step up in the red zone, Keenum should remain efficient in that department. But an even bigger mystery than Case Keenum arguably is Vance Joseph. And Vance Joseph was almost fired after last season, but in my opinion, the Broncos wisely decided to pump the brakes and give him another chance because Vance Joseph was dealt a bad hand. The quarterback situation, he was just powerless to overcome, in my opinion, and the quarterbacks constantly turning the ball over, put defense the defense in a short field a lot of the time, and they fell behind uh, and couldn't recover for the rest of the game. So it went above and beyond Vance Joseph. But Vance Joseph is on the hot seat, and for good reason, given the uh, traditional expectations that the Broncos have of their team. So my question is this. How many wins does Vance Joseph need this season in order to keep his job as head coach of the Broncos going forward? You know, I, I want to say if, it, and it really depends on the dynamic between Case Keenum and Vance Joseph. Let's say that Case Keenum is what I talked about. Let's say he's average as a quarterback, and that's a big jump from last year. I think if, if the Broncos are 8-8, eight and eight, that Vance Joseph will keep his job because, uh, you know, you, you don't have two losing seasons in a row, which the Broncos haven't had in, in decades. And also on top of that, that's a three-game win difference from last year. If you want to project forward and, and they do that same difference again, then you're talking about an 11-5 team. And I really think that John Elway doesn't want to continue to have to change coaches. You know, John Fox, Gary Kubiak, Vance Joseph, he doesn't want to add a fourth to that list. He wants to stay with Vance Joseph. And that's kind of what it came down to at the end of the season was there was plenty of reason to move on from Vance Joseph and beyond the 5-11 and 11 record. There was plenty of reason, uh, and, and no one would have blamed John Elway for moving on from him, but John wanted Vance Joseph. So I think a three-game improvement this year uh, would, would keep Vance's job. Now, let's say that Case Keenum is putting up MVP-type numbers and the Broncos are 8-8. Eight and eight. Well, that, then you're going to be able to point the finger at the coaching staff on this one and then I think they'll move on from Vance. But it all comes down to, I think that John Elway wants to give Vance Joseph that benefit of the doubt, just like he did this year. Because last year, like you said, they didn't have the quarterback play. A lot of things went against them. And it was Vance Joseph's rookie season. I mean, John knew what he was getting into when he hired a rookie coach. That He, wa- he wants this to work. So uh, if the team goes 7-9, and nine, uh, I don't think you're keeping Vance Joseph 8-8 eight and eight or better. I think he's going to be the guy for a third year. However, while some of that makes sense, I will say this. Let's say the Broncos do go 7-9, but they are competitive in every single game, and just some unlucky bounces um, went against them, and a lot of key guys were injured. I would definitely keep Vance Joseph in that situation because Vance Joseph would prove to me under that situation that he is the guy to oversee this gradual overhaul of the roster. Absolutely, yeah, and there's certainly that fact. And going along with what I said, adding to that is, you know, John wants him to be the guy. If there's enough reason for that, and now what's important when you're talking about 7-9 and nine is realizing that if the team's off to a 1-6 and six start, 
Vance is going to be gone before he even gets uh, to be able to prove that he's a seven and nine coach. So, so you'd have to be in order to do that. You, you're right. You'd have to be competitive in pretty much every game, uh, unlike last year where the team was rarely competitive. And uh, you would have to have a 500 record the entire season and slip below 500 just at the end. Yes. And it can't just be a number alone that seals Vance Joseph fate, Jeff Joseph's fate. It has to be the context beyond that number. Absolutely. You're 100% right. But what's important is the first four weeks of the season, that first quarter, making sure that the Broncos are, you know, competitive, whether that's two and two. Um, I believe that they're two and two, that, that he's safe. But if you dip to one and three when you're playing Seattle, Oakland, Baltimore, and Kansas City with essentially a rookie quarterback, then that, that's rough waters for Vance. Oh, it most certainly is. And another big factor that will determine whether Vance Joseph could keep his job going forward is this 2018 rookie class. And there is a lot of hope and hype surrounding this draft class, and for good reason. Most analysts consider it among the best, if not the best, on paper, including Pro Football Weekly in my uh, backyard of Chicago. They uh, thought the Broncos had the best draft class on paper in 2018. And you yourself have been writing that it's realistic to expect a large impact from these rookies this season. However, I personally think expectations are a little too high. What should Broncos fans realistically expect from the following rookies this season, starting with uh, Bradley Chubb? And I think it's safe to have high expectations for him. Six to ten sacks, I'm thinking, and uh, double-digit tackles for a loss and some forced fumbles in there as well. Yeah, with David, I I think you led that question off perfectly because Every single season, every team across the league has high hopes for their rookie class. They think they're a great class. And the Broncos did get the love of analysts uh, for this draft class right after the draft finished. And what I've seen so far on the field during OTAs, during minicamp, has really been amazing uh, from this rookie class. And it was significantly different than what I've seen from rookie classes in the past. And it starts with Bradley Chubb. Like you said, this guy... When I met a few Broncos rookies last season, I thought, okay, these guys are going to need some time just looking at their bodies. They're going to need a year or two in the NFL in order to develop uh, into being an NFL football player, just their body type, let alone the mental aspect of the game. When I saw Bradley Chubb and met him for the first time, you could have fooled me. You could have told me he was a seven-year vet that was a Pro Bowl every single year with the physical abilities and, and, and talent that he has physically right now. So I, I think that it's realistic to expect a lot from him. And, and you said six to 10 sacks. I think that's a very fair number. Some people in Denver are saying that, uh, you know, you shouldn't expect more than five sacks because he's a rookie. And while I understand that, Bradley Chubb is different. He, he's ready to play right now, and he's going to get a lot of playing time. I expect more than five sacks from him, and I think that he can get double-digit sacks. Now, my, my prediction right now, would be eight sacks if I had to put a number on it. But would I be surprised if he hit Von Miller's, the, the, the number of sacks Von Miller had his rookie season, which was 11 and a half? No, absolutely I wouldn't be because Bradley Chubb is set up for success. So along with everything I just said about him, who's the guy on the other side of the field? It's Von Miller. Von Miller is going to get so much attention from opposing teams until Bradley Chubb proves that they have to give him attention. And then you also have Shane Ray rotating in and Shaq Barrett rotating in. Bradley Chubb it could, could be set for a great rookie season. Now, 
moving on from Bradley Chubb, there's also been a, a few other guys that have really caught my attention. And I have to start with the wide receiver duo that John Elway drafted. And that's Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. And these two guys have, have been so impressive this offseason. Uh, what, what they've said is, what some veterans have said is, this is the next, uh, Court, Cortland Sutton's the next Marius Thomas. And Deshaun Hamilton's the next Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I'm certainly not putting those expectations on those guys right now, but that's the type of playmaking duo that you could potentially have. Cortland Sutton, a big guy who has made so many big plays in mini camps and OTAs, one-handed grabs, uh, a red zone threat, like you mentioned with DT. And then Deshaun Hamilton is this shifty guy that can work the middle of the field, but has also impressed me with his work on the outside of the field. And look, the Broncos have desperately needed a third wide receiver since they had Wes Welker many years ago. If these two guys can combine to be a third wide receiver this year, then the Broncos did great in this draft just with those two guys and Bradley Chubb. Um, and, and of course, there, there's some other contributors as well, but those, those are the top three guys. And then you also have Royce Freeman, and he's a big question mark um, in terms of what his contribution is going to be. He could win the starting job in just two weeks from now in the middle of training camp uh, and be be the guy come week one against Seattle and rush for 800 to 1,000 yards, or or he could take a back seat and learn from Devontae Booker, who takes that role. Uh, So I'm not exactly sure where to put expectations for Royce Freeman. He's probably the biggest wild card out of this rookie group for me. Oh, yeah, and going back to Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton and realistic expectations for them. Uh, Talking to some friends after the draft, a lot of friends say that although they're high on Cortland Sutton's long-term potential, it is best for Cortland Sutton to be primarily a red zone option this year because Cortland Sutton coming out of that uh, offense at SMU, he wasn't asked to run that many routes. He only knows how to run three or four routes right now, dare I say, and the receivers that know how to run a wide variety of routes coming into the league are the ones that usually make the most impact in year one. And when you go to Deshaun Hamilton, he is that guy. He might have been the best route runner in this draft class, not named Calvin Ridley, dare I say. So, uh, yes, Cortland Sutton could have a role in the red zone, but Deshaun Hamilton might have an even bigger impact because of his route running chops. Is that a realistic uh, expectation? You're, you're exactly right. You nailed it on the head. Uh, Vance Joseph said that Deshaun Hamilton was the best route runner in the draft. Now, of course, you know, you're, you're going to give a, a little more props to the guys that you drafted, but it makes sense. I, I saw Deshaun Hamilton um, out in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and he, he, was, he caught my eye with his, I mean, he looked like Emmanuel Sanders with his footwork. Now, of course, you know, uh, a, a rookie Emmanuel Sanders, but he, he looked polished. He looked crisp. And that's exactly right. Those are the guys that transition the easiest into the NFL are the guys that are, are good route runners and have that tree of experience, that route tree of experience from college. And Deshaun Hamilton is that guy. And with Cortland Sutton, I, when they initially drafted him, I really had tempered expectations for him this season because I've seen through Cody Latimer, even last year with some some of the wide receivers taken in the first round, it's difficult for wide receivers to transition in the NFL. And with Cortland Sutton being very raw, as John Elway said, a very raw talent, I thought it was going to take some time. But what I've seen, I've been very impressed. But with rookies, you always have to remind yourself, pump the brakes a little bit, pump, pump the brakes a little bit. That's why I think the key here 
is, is, is expecting both of them to combine to be that third receiver the Broncos need. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned Cody Latimer, and because Cortland Sutton, like Cody Latimer coming out of college, and like Demarius Thomas coming out of college, keep in mind, has a lack of a route tree, um, a lot of people were saying, oh, here we go again. This is Cody Latimer 2.0. I think that side is equally as wrong because Cody Latimer, uh, what was discovered by the Broncos was that he just didn't have what it took between the ears to succeed, and he didn't have that work ethic that you needed to have to make an impact in the NFL. Cortland Sutton has it between the ears, and he has that work ethic. So the notion of him being the next Cody Latimer, I think, is overblown. I think the question with Sutton is, is he Alshon Jeffrey, or is he Devin Funchess? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And with Cody Latimer, he he could he just could not work with Peyton Manning, and, and everyone was confused why that why that dynamic and relationship didn't work. But when Peyton kind of kicked him to the curb, it made sense why, because he, he didn't understand that. And, and I do think uh, that Cortland Sutton has that. The draft class that John Elway brought in was built on leadership uh, and, and character. And that, that was the first time we've really seen this shift from John Elway and his drafting abilities and talking to Cortland Sutton multiple times since he's joined the Broncos. It, it's clear that, that he has that between the ears, and, and that's, that's what gives me confidence that, that he will turn out uh, to not follow that that Cody Latimer path. Oh, absolutely. And there's another member of this draft class that I think people cannot necessarily sleep on, and that is Josie Jewell. Now, yes, it's true. Josie Jewell will never be your modern-day three-down NFL linebacker, but he's not necessarily a two-down thumper either. As slow as his 40 time was, he ran a 4.8 at the Combine. He uh, His three-cone time was surprisingly quick at 6.3, I believe. And that three-cone time, you can argue, is even more important for linebackers because of the short area quickness needed to play that position. And Josie Jewell, um, if you don't ask him to play man coverage and ask him to play zone coverage, he could be quite productive like he was at Iowa against some top competition at the Big Ten. So uh, while he's not going to be another Bobby Wagner, Luke Heatley, or Levante David, he could be another James Laurinaitis, dare I say, or Chris Borland, who had a very good rookie year before he called it quits because of his uh, medical issues. Uh, so Josie Jewell, um, would it surprise you if uh, he ends up getting some healthy snaps on defense this year? Well, I think you, you're the perfect person to talk to about Josie Jewell because uh, if you look at Josie Jewell from a numbers perspective, like those numbers you threw out, uh, specifically the 40-yard dash time, you're going to say, oh, this guy's too slow to play in the NFL. His game was only for college. But you, you're a great guy to talk to because, um, you know, watching him on tape, you can see that he, he has the instincts where, sure, he may not be the fastest guy on the field, but his instincts do make up that half step to full step that he lacks in speed. And, and that's why the Broncos really, really like him. This is a football guy. Now, this year, my expectations for him uh, are to get a few snaps a game behind Todd Davis and Brandon Marshall, but the Broncos drafted Josie Jewell in the fourth round to be their starting inside linebacker next season. And everything we've seen so far, everything, everyone I've talked to within the organization still believes that, that, um, that he can be that level of player. Uh, next year, you can move on from Brandon Marshall and save a, a good chunk of change. You could actually move on from Todd Davis as well. I expect the Broncos will move on from one of those guys, just depending on 
on how this year goes with, with the hopes of Josie Jewell just stepping up and being that starting inside linebacker. And for a fourth-round pick to do that his second season in the league, that, that's, that's really impressive. Oh, it most certainly is. And speaking of draft classes, uh, last year the Broncos only got one regular contributor from their draft class in 2017, and that was obviously Garrett Bowles, who started uh, 16 games at left tackle. And yes, a lot of people want to deem for his pass protection, and rightfully so, but that was expected for Garrett Bowles coming out of college because it would take time for him to develop those pass protection chops. But in terms of the run game, his run blocking was rated the 12th best among offensive tackles by Pro Football Focus. So you can't say Garrett Bowles' rookie season was a flop at all. But uh, they're going to need another member of that draft class to take a pretty big leap forward this year for the Broncos to have a chance at the playoffs. And which member of that 2017 draft class do you see taking that big leap forward this season? Well, and it starts with the guy who was selected right after Garrett Bowles, and that's Demarcus Walker. Last year, Demarcus Walker was set up to fail uh, just with the organization. Drafted as a defensive end coming out of Florida State, he was then moved to an outside linebacker with the Broncos during training camp after Shane Ray got hurt, and then kind of just bounced back and forth throughout the entire season, but pretty much as an outside linebacker. This was a guy that hadn't dropped in coverage uh, since, I believe, his sophomore year of high school. He wasn't an outside linebacker. He was a defensive end coming out of college. The Broncos got in a sticky situation uh, with, with outside linebacker depth, tried to move him out there. This is a guy where this year he's gonna, going to play at 280 pounds. Last year, he dropped to 238 pounds at one point during the season. That's small for an outside linebacker, let alone a defensive end. And so he, he, was, he was really just set up to fail right away. Now, this year, he's back up to 280 pounds. He is solely a defensive end. And I'll tell you what, he looks night and day difference from last year. Every, not just what I saw on the field during game day and during the preseason, but what I saw in the locker room uh, handling and transitioning from the NFL or to the NFL and also on the practice field day in and day out. Demarcus Walker left the first day of training camp practice last year because of dehydration. That didn't sit well with a lot of his teammates. This year, he, he's acclimated with his teammates. Um, and then on the field, he, he's up to 280 pounds, and he looks like it. And I'll tell you what, it, as a defensive, as a down lineman, he is going to be a specialist. And if he is used right, and what I mean by used right, if he is used just as a specialist pass rusher, He's going to have a great sophomore season, and everyone's going to completely forget about his rookie season. Now, this is a guy where the Broncos want their defensive lineman to be around 300 pounds. Well, they want him at 280 because they're not going to ask much much of him in the run game. You have other guys uh, that, that can do well in the run game. So this is a guy I expect to see maybe 40% of the plays, but when he's on the field, he really should have an impact. Oh, absolutely. That is the thing to do with Demarcus Walker. Only ask him to be a sub-package interior nickel pass rusher. Do not ask him to set the edge in the run game because that is committing suicide, dare I say. And But another member of this 2017 draft class that was drawing a lot of hype um, during OTAs is Jake Butt. And if Jake Butt can emerge, even 
as a red zone weapon or a move the chains weapon on third down and ends up with like a 25 to 30 catches this year, I think that would go a long way to helping the Broncos uh, get to another uh, respectable record. Absolutely. That, that's a great person to look at. And on the offensive side of the ball, it's a perfect person to look at, not just talking about last year's draft class, but just talking about the offense in general. Look, since Wes Welker and Julius Thomas, the Broncos haven't had a, a third receiver. And I'm not just talking about the receiver position. I'm talking about just any third receiving threat. Well, that's tough for a guy like Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, even Peyton Manning. That, that's hard when you only have two options to go to. And teams can really zone in on those two options in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and neutralize them. Well, and I mentioned it already with those two rookies in, in Corlin Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. If they can combine up, to be that third receiver. And then if you have Jake Butt step up is a fourth weapon, talk about huge amount of help for Case Keenum. I mean, you said this Broncos offense isn't as talented as the Vikings offense from last year, and I completely agree with you. But if you see these, these, these other options starting to develop, well, maybe it's not too big of a gap from what Case Keenum had around him with the Vikings last year. And Jake Butt, I'll tell you what, he, he looks good. Last year, I saw him try to get on the practice field, and I saw him moving around every day, and he looked like a guy that had, had multiple ACL surgeries. He was slow. Um, he, he was hesitant with his knee. This year, I couldn't, be able, I, I couldn't tell that he's had any surgeries to his knee. He's moving around. He's crisp. He's smooth. And I'll tell you what, he looks like the receiving tight end that they drafted him to be in. Uh, you mentioned it, 25, 30 catches, that'd be a good season for him. But what I've seen from him so far, why can't he have a Hunter Henry type of year this year? Now, my expectations for him are a little bit lower than that, um, especially Hunter Henry's first year in the league. But I think Jake Butt can have 30 to 35 catches, maybe 400 to 500 yards. And like you said, that receiving threat in the red zone, six touchdowns. Because if you get in the red zone and you're putting DT out wide, you're putting Emmanuel in the slot, and you're putting Cortland Sutton out wide, well, now, now you have to use those resources to cover those guys, sneak in Jake Butt in the middle, and you can easily see six touchdowns for him this season. Oh, that wouldn't be surprising at all. And as I said, the Broncos uh, report to training camp on Friday and have their first practice of training camp on Saturday, exactly two weeks before their first preseason game and what are the biggest position battles for Broncos fans to pay attention to during training camp and preseason? Well, the, the biggest one is with that running back position. I mentioned it a little bit before with Royce Freeman and Devonte Booker. You have some other guys on the team um, as well, but really it's coming down to those two guys right now. I would give the edge to Devonte Booker because he's the vet. But I'll tell you what, Royce Freeman, everyone, including the coaching staff, is really excited to see him when those pads come on, what he's able to do. Because he showed big playability at Oregon. He showed consistency, not just in one year, but year after year after year. And I'll tell you what, this outside of the quarterback position, this is the most important position on the Broncos team right now. Because like we've said, if Case Keenum has tools around him, and, and not everything is on his shoulders. He can be a good quarterback. Well, does he have a running game in Denver? That is a, a huge question. And it's not uncommon for rookie running backs to do really well. So it's not like the Broncos 
are, are absolutely hosed in this position right here. But if, if this running back group, specifically Devontae Booker or Royce Freeman, whoever wins that starting job, if they can be average, like, like I said with this offense, if just strive to be average. If those guys can be average, then Case Keenum can be average or a little above average, and this team will, will have a winning record. If this running group doesn't do well and everything is put on Case Keenum's shoulders, then I don't know if you can expect much different than last year. You're going to have a lot, lot more turnovers than you want. Uh, Case Keenum's not going to be effective. And maybe you're looking at six and 10. Maybe you're looking at seven and nine. You're not looking at a winning record. And the, the craziest thing, I went and looked at this. Every, every single team but one that made the playoffs last year finished average or above in rushing yards last season. The only team that, that didn't finish in the top 50 or 16 of teams and made the playoffs was the Pittsburgh Steelers with Le'Veon Bell. And that just shows you that all they had last year was Le'Veon Bell. But you know what? Le'Veon Bell was a darn good option for them to turn to. So you got to have an average running game if you want to compete in the NFL. Oh, you most certainly do. And you mentioned Royce Freeman. While I agree Devontae Booker has the edge right now due to seniority, uh, I don't think that edge is as big as some people are thinking because if Royce Freeman can show that he can hold his own in pass protection and hold on to the rock when those pads come on, uh, don't you think that could be enough to force a 50-50 split between the two? There's no question about it. And in fact, I mean, my, my lead for Devontae Booker is uh, honestly 51% and Royce Freeman has 49% J- just after oh, two days after pads come on, which will be in about um, a week from or two weeks from now, uh, you'll be able to tell if Royce Freeman, Royce Freeman can easily take that lead and not only have a 50, 50 split throughout the season, Royce Freeman, I, I don't necessarily want to say lead and, and uh, main back, but, but he, he can get 70% of the carries if he proves to be that guy, because you're right. Uh, Devontae Booker, I like Devontae Booker more than other people do, and he can certainly be a weapon out of the backfield in the passing game. And I think if his vision can evolve, uh, that he can be a good starting running back in the NFL. But there, there's really not much on tape that, that, that I can point to to say, oh, he, Royce Freeman is going to have to be amazing to overtake him. I think it could be very easy for, for Royce to take that job and kind of run away with it. Oh, that wouldn't shock me either. And what are some other position battles to pay attention to as training camp opens? We've got right guard, for instance. We've got slot corner. Um, what do you think about those two battles? Well, with right guard right now, uh, you have everything else on the offensive line set. Right guard's the only question mark. Well, last year, what did the Broncos do? The Broncos had rotating guards at left guard throughout the entire season. And to me, that made no sense. It seems like the Broncos are not going to do that this year. And that's really good because that it, you have to have five guys on the line. You can't have five and a half to six guys on that line. You need one stable group. Right now, I give the edge to Menelik Watson, a former right tackle for the Broncos last year. Menelik's getting paid $7 million this year, and they're not going to cut him. His money is guaranteed. So money typically talks in these position battles. And I'll tell you what, through this offseason, they've really wanted Menelik to win this job. Now, they're going to let it go into training camp, but I just feel like that their desire for him 
to be a good right guard is going to come through. Now, you also have Connor McGovern at that position, and that, that's a guy who I'd really like to see get a fair shot at this competition. Former fifth-round pick, he came in, played a few games last year, and when he played, he impressed me. Now, his pro football focus numbers uh, wouldn't, be, uh, wouldn't impress anyone else, but he, he came in in a tough spot with, with not playing much, and I'd really like to see him get a fair shot, but I think in the end, it's going to come down to Menelik Watson and really try to build that offensive line that can run the ball so that, like I said, the running game can at least be average and then not everything is on Case Keenum's shoulders. Now, with that third cornerback position, that's a really interesting one because right now, Vance Joseph would admit, and a lot of people would say that the veteran, Tremaine Brock, is, is that third cornerback right now. I, I have to give him the nod because he's going to open up training camp as that third cornerback. But I'll tell you what, Brendan Langley is coming in and coming in hot. Speaking of guys that can contribute from last year's draft class, Brendan Langley is one. He was drafted as a project. He went to, he went to Lamar College last year, or, or two years ago uh, and was brought in as a project. Former wide receiver. Had a really tough season last year. But he's impressed me with what he's done. And Tremaine Rock, he, he only played 5% of the defensive snaps in Minnesota last year. Now, they have a very talented secondary. But what I've seen so far, he's probably been my biggest concern through watching OTAs and minicamp, it, it just seems like there's going to be a, a battle brewing closer to the end of training camp with that third cornerback spot between a vet, a 10-year vet, and a second-year young guy with some potential. Oh, yeah. Um, the coaching staff was talking up Brendan Langley uh, during OTAs. And I will say this, though. Although it might be a little too much to ask him to win the job this year, uh, don't sleep on their uh, other third-round pick, Isaac Yidem, for to put up a fight in the job for slot corner. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I'll tell you what, this is another guy who was a standout to me um, at the Senior Bowl earlier this year and was a, clearly a standout to the Broncos coaching staff who was coaching that game as they went and drafted him with the third-round pick. And hey, you just look, from the money that John Elway has put into that cornerback position with a keep to leave, um, with uh, Dominique Rogers Cromarty back in the day, and with Chris Harris Jr., and then also you have him two third-round picks. He, he, there is a huge emphasis placed on the cornerback position in John's mind. And Isaac Yadam, um, I, I do think he's going to be a, somewhat of a, of a project, maybe not along the Brendan Langley line. I, I think Yadam could play this year. Right now, he's not going to compete for that third cornerback role, at least entering training camp. Uh, he'll get that shot if Langley um, or uh, Tremaine Brock doesn't grab the job. But, but I just I don't think, I think it's going to be another year until you really see Yadam on the scene. Yes, and I think his role will be like taking over that Kayvon Webster role on special teams this year. That's what some people have said. Exactly. Yes. And record-wise, Zach, what do you think is the floor and ceiling for the Broncos this season? Well, I certainly think the floor um, is higher than it was last season. No matter, no matter what Case Keenum they get, I believe the quarterback play is going to be better than what you had last season. So, uh, And I, I, I want to say the, the floor is 7-9. and nine. Maybe you drop that to 6-10. and 10. But, but realistically, I think you're looking at about 7-9. and nine for the floor 
ceiling, I think this team could go 11-5. and five. I think they could absolutely go from worst in the division to first in the division. There's a few other teams out there that you could throw in that group from worst to first. I think the Broncos has to be one because, look, you look at this team, they're, they, they're really talented for a 5-11 and 11 team. On the defensive side of the ball, when you're talking about Von Miller, when you're talking about Chris Harris, when you're talking about Bradley Roby, and then you're talking about Bradley Chubb, Shaq Barrett, Shane Ray, that is a lot of talent on that defense. Derek Wolf. I mean, I can continue to go through talent. And then on the offensive side of the ball, like I said, strive to be average. And this team does have enough talent on the, on the offensive side of the ball to be average. Now, it's about can the offense come together? And I think that they will come together, not to a point where they can be a 13-3 and team this year, but I think their ceiling is about 11-5. and And where I would peg it right now without having seen any training camp, any preseason, um, and any of the regular season, of course, I like to put it about nine and a half wins. So right now I think they're about a nine and seven team. But look, from last year, four wins better, you're trending in the right direction. Oh, you most certainly are, Zach. And he is Zach Stevens, ladies and gentlemen, BSN Denver Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Stevens BSN. And Zach, thank you so much once again for donating your time and your inside knowledge of the Broncos to our program today. But before you go, uh, I want to ask three more questions that have to do with the immediate and long-term future of the Denver Broncos. And let's uh, start off with the upcoming free agents after this season. Three notable players are coming out of contract after 2018. Bradley Roby, Matt Paradis, and Shaquille Barrett. I purposely left Shane Ray off the list because I do not expect him to be retained by the Broncos for 2019. But which one of those three that I just mentioned is most likely to be retained by the Broncos for the 2019 season and perhaps beyond? To be retained, boy, I mean, I just talked about the importance of that cornerback position with John Elway. I think when you lose a keep to leave, you got to hang on to Bradley Roby. It's a a big year for Bradley Roby. He He can set a huge price tag for himself, but I don't think John Elway lets him go. Oh, me neither. If he has a similar season that Kyle Fuller had for the Bears last year, I think his contract is going to end up in that same area, just a little bit higher. So uh, that easily makes the most sense. And also after the season, Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, and Derek Wolf, three of the most important pieces on that Super Bowl 50 team, will carry astronomically high cap hits. And should Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton's development stay on schedule, plus when you have the fact that the 2019 draft class is absolutely loaded at defensive line. Do you think there's a strong possibility that all three of those guys do not return in 2019? The strong possibility that all of them don't return? No, I don't think there's a strong possibility there. I do think that there's a, possi- a pretty good possibility that two of those three don't return. And the one that, that I would keep is one of the two receivers. And if he had to press me on that, I think they would keep Demarius Thomas in that sense because between Demarius and Emmanuel, I think the Broncos are set for over a $30 million cap hit in 2019. You're, you're not doing that. Any team, you, you can't do that. So they're going to move on from one of those guys. And I think along with moving on from one of those guys, let's say that's Emmanuel because that's who I believe it would be right now. I think they can go to Demarius and ask him to take a pay cut. Um, and a pay cut, not just a restructure, to bring that number down from 17 million, oh, maybe say to, to 12 or 10 million, because DT, 
uh, it, it, it's hard to, to ask players to take pay cuts. But DT is, has, has been a true Bronco. I believe he wants to finish his career as a Bronco. And I don't know how many more years he has left. I think he's getting close to the end of his career. So maybe he takes that pay cut. Still making 10 to $12 million next year. But look, then between those two guys, you just saved about $18 million. Now, I think it'd be around $16 million against the cap. That's significantly different. And then with Derek Wolf, the Broncos are, right now, the Broncos have so much depth at that defensive end position. And Derek Wolf uh, has, has had injury problems throughout his career. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on from him this year with that big cap hit coming up. But I think with Derek, he doesn't necessarily control the keys to his future. I think it's the guys behind him and around him. If you see Shelby Harris step up, if you see Adam Gossett step up, if you see Demarcus Walker step up, well, then I think the Broncos are going to feel comfortable with what they have, and they're going to want to save that money there. So I would say two out of those three, um, there's a strong possibility won't be on the team in 2019. And last but not least, at the Senior Bowl, uh, which both you and I had the pleasure of attending this past January, I was told by a highly plugged-in insider that the Broncos are grooming Gary Kubiak to succeed. John Elway is GM when Elway's current contract expires. Have you heard anything similar, and would you be surprised if Kubiak eventually does assume the GM duties for the Broncos? Yeah, it's a very interesting um, thing to look at. And look, everything continues to point to that because now Gary Kubiak is the only senior personnel advisor on John Elway's staff. You also have Matt Russell, who's a close advisor. Um, he just doesn't have the same title. But in John Elway's close circle, you have Matt Russell, you have Gary Kubiak in terms of the personnel uh, groupings around Elway. But that's it. And, and I think right now, Gary Kubiak is taking that step up uh, to, to become John Elway's successor. Now, remember, John Elway still has many, many years left on that contract. Signed the extension just before last season. So he's going to be here a long time. A lot of things can change. But there, there's two trains of thought. Some people think that Gary Kubiak's being, being groomed to become the Broncos' next general manager, whenever that will be. Others think that he's just staying close within the organization and he's going to go back to being that head coach. I would say don't talk about him being a head coach because that's not the, the, the direction he's looking at anymore. You're absolutely right in looking in the direction of general manager. And, and I absolutely think that could be a possibility. Again, John has many years left on that deal, so it's going to be some time. But Gary Kubiak is, is pretty much doing assistant general manager roles and he's only been with the organization in, in the personnel department for a year now. It's just about a year to the day. So it's going to be exciting to continue to watch him grow in, in the next four and five years. Yes, and that notable change in the Broncos' drafting approach, a lot of people tell me that Kubiak was the brains behind that shift. And that, that would make sense. You know, I've heard that as well. Um, but look, what, what was the biggest change from last year's draft class in, in terms of who was in that personnel department and this year's draft class. Well, Gary Kubiak, and, and he's moved up, and he was in that war room with John, and it's incredible. He, he, he started one year ago scouting uh, colleges in, in the South. In that time, right around the draft, he was then moved up to John Elway's senior personnel advisor. It's incredible uh, the, the amount 
of responsibility that he's gained in just one year. And look, he's one of the only guys that can tell John Elway no and that can t- tell John Elway his honest opinion. And that's really valuable. And not only if he becomes a general manager for the Broncos in the future, but right now that's huge to have someone that John Elway trusts and can truly listen to like that. It most certainly is. He is Zach Stevens of BSN Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Zach Stevens BSN Zach. Once again, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the program, and I hope this is one of many times we will have you on. Absolutely, David. Well, I really enjoyed it, and I would love to come back on and talk more Broncos football with you. Likewise, Zach. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross. But we'll be back in a few days with more 2018 NFL training camp coverage, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Zach. For Zach Stevens, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.